uh, the, the gentleman who coined the term hokey was like the leader of the KKK. Like, I mean, it was just like... This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things Black entrepreneurship, politics, news, and events in Hampton Roads and beyond. When I say Black, y'all say Wall Street. Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street. When I say Black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Black. Well, what's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us today for the 1004 show. It's episode 54. And we're going to make a bold statement today with Blair Durham of Black Brand. You can learn about her. She's the co-founder and co-president at blackbrand.biz. Blair, excited to have you on the show today. Zach, I'm excited to be here. And thank you so much for creating this awesome platform and deciding to have me be a part of it. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can see your excitement already and i know it's going to be glorious so so tell me a little bit about black brand so hmm, black brand so i can tell you that we founded black brand um in response to just the conundrum of this area you know we were doing research we put together uh, a think tank um, the first part of 2016, um, and we had a bunch of people that were meeting, and everyone had ideas about you know things we could do in the community. Um, and once we realized that sort of the the root of the uh, the challenge, particularly with the black community, was economic, um, we started asking questions like, you know, what happened to the last black chamber? Um, how could it be the case that an area with 25,000 black owned businesses could also be like number three for police brutality? You know what I mean? Why is it that Virginia makes more referrals to the penal system than any other state? And why is it concentrated in the Hampton Roads region? Um, why is there just such a disconnect, you know, especially with all of the development that was happening? So Black Brand was birthed as Chamber of Commerce, right, uh, a local affiliate to the National Black Chambers of Commerce um, on one side, but then on the other side, we really wanted to um, create a series of community development initiatives. So to that end, we're building a food system um, that combines the efforts and the resources of black herdsmen, black producers, farmers, fishermen, etc., um, to be able to like birth a CSA turned you know, on. <laughs> um, and then we're building a community development financial institution as well, because there are resources at the federal level that are designed for low to moderate income um, business owners and individuals, underserved populations. So there's ways that we can tap into resources there. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, the beginning of our story. <laughs> the beginning, I love it. One thing that, so we actually live in the same region, the same backyard, so I, I understand yeah. a lot of things that you're talking about. One thing that I've always thought was interesting about this area, and so I grew up in Northern Virginia, and whites are minorities in Northern Virginia, which is which is odd for people to think of. When I moved down here, it's kind of 50-50 white to black, but I didn't see the diversity in like power positions, if you will. And so it seemed like a lot of the power positions, whether that's political and business or in leadership groups, um, it was mostly older white males. 
And so I thought it was odd that a region that was very split didn't even come close to being split kind of in those power positions. And so it's been something that's been on my mind for, for a long time. I'm excited to, to, to dive deep into a lot of these things. And, and as I've educated myself and had more conversations with, with folks like you to understand this, like it, it's, it's interesting to kind of learn where kind of all these things get stuck, can improve, et cetera. So um, you said 25,000 black owned businesses yeah. in Southeastern Virginia. That's Yes. Right here in Hampton Roads. So that's pretty incredible. So yeah. this region has 1.7 million people in it. It probably doesn't even have a hundred thousand businesses. So for it to have a quarter of those businesses run by, um, 25,000 businesses uh, owned by um, African-Americans. That's, that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, and that's a very large number. Um, Got that. How did... Census Bureau. Wow. So... Yeah. What is your background? How did you start exploring this? What, like, what... So I like to have conversations, right? So instead of just saying, yeah. oh, here, this is the four questions. Like, let's get, like, like, what gets you fired up? Like... 1004 yeah. gets me fired up because people don't, small businesses don't get the love that they need. You know, with you, I feel like you, you have something very similar and, and you have like this, not only this bold statement, but something happened mm-hmm. to make you really <laughs> get passionate about this. And, and I want to know, like, what, what happened? Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I, th- I always think it started at one point, but then really it goes back as far as I can remember. Um, my mother, was an activist, is an activist in her own right. And so growing up, she always had me in meetings. I mean, every evening, every Saturday, we were somewhere doing something. She, president of this, she's in charge of the voting precinct to this day. And so she always had me involved. So I didn't know what was going on. Those are just seeds, right? Um, in high school, you know, I'm looking to make decisions about college. Um, and Part of me is like, okay, I'm at the top of my class, you know, I'm doing great. This math and science thing is something I really enjoy. Everyone else that was there in that space with me decided to go to Virginia Tech. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to Virginia Tech. (laughs) Um, And I thought I was going to study engineering. Is that where you went to school? You went to Virginia Tech? I did. I did. I found my first thing that I dislike about you. I'm so sorry. I know, but but I had a really cool experience and you're going to be like, wow, when I tell you. So I decided to go to tech, but I knew that I didn't really want to be an engineer. Like I had this passion for people. I'm like, uh, you know, I got to I got to work whatever that is out. And so I ended up deciding to study psychology and that was cool, but that wasn't quite it either. Like it didn't really turn on for me until I took a class called race, class, and gender. Um, And it was the top of my junior year. And oh my goodness, it just, it got me really fired up. 
Um, and from that point, I took every course that was related. <laughs> I took every sociology course, every Africana studies course, every women's studies course. I took independent studies. I was doing 20 credit hours. Um, I mean, I was working my butt off summer. I was working job, And then I was also very, very active on the campus because as you probably know, it's pretty racially charged at tech. Um, we had uh, what do you mean by ra racially charged what does that mean well that means at the time that i was a student there um the board of visitors made a decision to remove race from the anti-discrimination clause they were moving toward becoming a charter institution as opposed to a publicly funded land-grant institution and they wanted to pull all of the funding from anything that said minority and that upset us because you had a school whose football program was clearly, <laughs> you know, driven by, you know, the black students. And you're saying you don't want to offer, you know, minority scholarships for engineering. Um, and we, yeah, we organized. We created something called the PATH campaign. It, it's a progressive action toward humanity. It was like we got 10,000 signatures, we raised all this money, we created t shirts and cards and bands, and we developed, um, we developed a list of demands, which became, which you can still look up to this day, the Virginia Tech Principles of Community. Uh, we protested, we did teachings, sit ins, the whole nine yards. And so I had that going on the one hand, but then it was being supported by all of these classes that I was taking, like, <laughs> you know, minority group relations and, and race and racism and you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh man, this is, this is what it is, you know, this is it. Um, and so I ended up getting a second degree. So I got a bachelor of science in psychology and I got a BA in interdisciplinary studies, which combined those political elements. So I had to go to tech because I had to have that experience. Um, were they trying <laughs> well, like, yeah. so when they and, and I'm going to butcher some of the, the, the actual language but were they trying to make it so that it was more of one instead of instead of being diverse or like could you get a sense of why they were trying to get rid of this piece and so um, in episode 23 I asked Jason Towns about you know are, are some of these things creating more silos that you can't you know, bring back and connect together. Like, were they trying to remove those silos? Were they trying to remove these these challenges to make it, you know, a better? But they missed they, they missed the beat or something. Like, like you know, I, someone I, that's uneducated, someone that's uneducated in this. Like I'm saying, I am. Is it seems like they, you know, in theory, were trying to make something better for everyone, but in fact, it actually was um, a step back. Yeah, I, I think that. I, I don't think that they had bad intentions. I don't. Um, I just am not sure that they thought through all of the implications of what they were doing. Um, and it was, you know, 28,000 students at Tech, less than 5% of which were Black. You know, so it was like we were underrepresented. I mean, even, you know, I think at the national level, 13% of the U.S. population is black, right? And so to say 
we're not going to focus on recruiting blacks. We're not going to focus on, you know, it was just because the other side of it was we were having such a great time there. Like we were benefiting from that experience and we wanted just the opposite to be the case. Like, I think you should provide more funding. I think there should be much more exposure. You know what I mean? That was what, that was what we wanted. Especially if the football team is making a lot of money. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I think a lot of times it's it is bad. It's it's good intentions executed poorly. Yeah, and sitting in meetings with um, the provost at the time, Mr. McNamee, the president at the time, Charles Steger, they would say things like, you know, we just don't see what you see. When we look out at this gorgeous campus, and it is a gorgeous campus, that was. 99% of the reason why I ended up going there is like I fell in love with the mountains. I was just like, I have to go to school here. It's gorgeous. So they're like, looking out over this campus, you know, we just see love and we see, you know, and we were like, yeah, <laughs> we get it. I mean, it's that, that blinding privilege, right? Of course it looks great when you look out at it, you know? Um, but for us, we are not represented really within the aesthetic of the school like it's not you know what i mean it's just it could be it could be better so what did you so 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 this event happened what year is this by the way so i graduated 2005 this would have been right around 2003 2004 okay so michael vick has has left at this point you guys have, have Yes, he's gone. We've got little Vic in there. Marcus Vic kind of wreaking havoc, <laughs> making it not good for us, right? Sure. Um, so okay, yeah. so 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 time frames two thousand three, two thousand four. But when you started approaching them, what were some of the? Because you weren't business minded at, at that point. You were more of an activist. You were yeah. you were really just trying to and, and, get my feet wet. Yeah. Um, and we. What were, go ahead. No, I mean, what were, what were some of the conversations that you're having? Like, how do you say, hey, this thing that you're doing actually is not, this isn't a benefit? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was just, it was, it was pretty confrontational. It was a lot of us wearing all black and sitting in the president's office and demanding a meeting kind of thing. It was, it was us standing on the steps of Burris Hall, like with a mic, with like, what do you call those things? Megaphones. I mean, it was, yeah. And, and I think about it now, like, I, I, I think this, I think college campuses are always ripe for this kind of activity. You know what I mean? Everyone is learning and coming into their, their confidence and their independence. Um, and then you just add one dynamic, which was this board of visitors thing. I mean, and it, it set us off. And we started doing history, doing research on the history of the school and learning things like, you know, uh, the, the gentleman who coined the term hokey was like the leader of the KKK. And like, I mean, it was just like, oh my God. Like, what are, I mean, we started, there's like memorabilia from, from slavery, like that's still present on the campus. And then, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just, it was a lot. <laughs> um, and so we started bringing all of that to light um, to students, to to uh, to administration, to faculty. Um, 
And then we realized there was sort of this, we called it the mass exodus of black faculty. You know, professors were leaving left and right. And we were asking questions like, how come you can't retain these guys? You know? Um, mm. And like I said, it did culminate in this, in this campaign that became the Virginia Tech Principles of Community, which for us, I mean, they didn't become a charter school, so it's kind of like a win in that regard. Um, but still, it was like, yeah, you know. I think you're right though about college campuses, right? So, mm-hmm. you, not only are they a place where you're getting a lot of eclectic people together, but also you're fearless in college. You don't care yet, right? So you you've been no. out of school for a few years. <laughs> Like when I was in school, I didn't, I didn't care. You clearly right. didn't care then, you know, it's like I can take over the world. And so it's it's interesting. And I think that's a, a big powerful thing with with colleges and, and it's yeah. why you see big things happen at, at, at campuses like that. So so let's, let's, let's start getting into it. It's, it's 2017 now. Move forward, right? How did you, <laughs> yeah. So, so it, you have this big powerful thing 14 years ago. Yeah. What do you do for the next 14 years to kind of get you into being involved? So I come back home and Zach, I got to tell you, I was weird coming back home. I was weird. I mean, (laughs) these were the only conversations I wanted to have. And there's this thing, right? If you're, it's very difficult to not, you know, give off what it is that you are immersed in you know what I mean so I was probably creating issues that didn't exist because I was just so at this point militant and I was right and I was you know um and I feel that way every day today yes Yes. I'm like you know what (laughs) yeah so you know I come back and I was invited to teach at my old high school Oscar Smith High School And uh, I did that for a few years and I loved it. And what I discovered was, wow, racism is institutionalized. I worked as a special education teacher at a school where nearly 30% of the population was a part of the special ed program. And I worked uh, with a couple of different programs within special ed. I worked with the LD population. I worked with the ED population. And most of my students were black and they were very intelligent, but they had been passed through and they couldn't read. You know what I mean? But you give them something in their hands, they can make it. You give them technology, they're totally proficient. They're not having any challenges with communication, but they're not going to get a diploma because they can't read and they hate being in school. Right. And so they're fighting and. So I've got all this going in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? And, and, and at that time I started to realize that being a direct service provider probably wasn't what I was going to be doing. Like there was going to be something that I needed to create that was going to, you know what I mean? That was going to impact this, hopefully at a structural level. But before you go any deeper, um, you said racism is institutionalized. Can you explain that a little bit more? So, so if special education is an example, um, just, I mean, you can, I mean, it's just, it's just very clear. Again, we talked about school to prison pipeline, right? Um, 
mass incarceration. I mean, the fact that at an alarming rate, you know, black students are far more likely to be referred to the penal system for subjective things like disrespect. You know what I mean? Whereas the white counterpart would have to do something like smoke a cigarette or, you know, <laughs> you know, graffiti on a wall in order to get kicked out of school. So the perception, there's just a, there's a perception issue, right? That if, you know, and then there's this cultural bias and I don't know, there's in-services that need to happen that probably are not happening since most teachers are white female, you know, compared to black male students, there's just a huge cultural gap. Um, so I guess that's what I mean is that yeah. One thing that I one, one thing that I think probably touches on that a little bit is um, those who and I think it's just um, I'm trying to think of the way to say this. So students, kids that go to school for the first time in kindergarten compared to kids that go to school when they're like 18 months, the the delta gap there, the the gap of mm-hmm. like intelligence because they've been dealing with with kids for three years where others haven't is apparently really an alarming stat i just learned about this maybe like six months ago and how if kids can get into some sort of pre-kindergarten yeah right beforehand they have a better chance of, of being more educated more you know high school graduates college graduates and so it's 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 wild to think that there's this three-year gap of people and how much can be grown there yet mm-hmm. early childhood education i guess is, is probably what it's called and so really trying yeah. to tackle that as something but then if you if you dig deep something i like to do is, is really get to the core is like okay so where are the majority of those families right mm-hmm. and if the majority of those families that can put people their kids into preschool and, and early childhood yeah. education are white well-off families so, so we just paint this really bad picture yeah and then you learn that like two percent so then you jump forward to the business side of it and you you, you realize that you know only two percent of, of, of black founders are are funded in in businesses and so you just see this track record of, of all this stuff and so yeah. it's a really bad picture and so it it there is a lot of opportunity to fix this to make For this sure. right to make this and, sure. and and as i'm educating myself on these topics more and more and more like there's a ton that there's just so much opportunity to to to, to jump on these things and that's why i'm excited to to see kind of what you guys are doing how you guys are doing it and, and yeah. to see the future so so you're you're back at oscar smith you, yeah, you're, so you realize that years. thought i was yeah. ready then to create a nonprofit. i tried um <laughs> I remember doing these huge fundraising car washes, right? And I've got like 30 people that have volunteered. And I'm like, yeah, and afterwards I'm going to pay for all of you guys to eat at Golden Corral. And then there goes like every dime that we raised. And I just, you know, I wasn't there yet, right? Um, so I kind of jumped back into work. I started doing some counseling things. Um, which I really enjoyed. Um, I also did some sales leadership things, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, and uh, yeah, most recently, 
prior to yeah March of 2016. I was I was working as a community based counselor. I was um, doing parenting skills classes. I was really working in the community, like in the trenches. Uh, and at the same time, I had a really good relationship with the leadership team where I work, and I was able to help with like implementing programs and things like that. Um, so I met my husband uh, October of. I'm sorry, August of 2014. And we we knew within a day or two of meeting why we'd met. We knew we were supposed to get married. We knew we were supposed to birth something for the communities. I mean, it was, it was weird. Like, he had these three books sitting at the other end of the table the day we met. And I just knew, I was like, wow, we're going to have a great conversation. He starts bringing me this poetry. And, um, and you know... <laughs> You remember how crazy it was last summer with all of the with all of the killings and um my husband was becoming depressed and it was just like okay we've got to translate this energy into something meaningful and so um so i said we were already kind of having conversations but that june 25th meeting was huge because we brought together people that we knew already had an interest in or already working in um, some aspect of community development. They were already, uh, you know, in the solution domain, right? And uh, yes. <laughs> so, so you had that meeting. They've had meetings yeah. like this before, but nothing really came to fruition. It just a lot of I like complaining timing, about stuff. Or I think the timing was 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 why we were able to really get something going again last summer was crazy right everybody was a lot of pro- so it's 20 it's summer of 2016 a lot of protest a lot of a lot of killings a lot of a, a, it was a very crazy <sighs> um if you yes. will yeah it was and, and so timing and business a lot is is important and so what were some of the things and challenges yeah. that were brought up at at this meeting so this meeting was interesting because we actually um, we had two sort of presentations, um, and the first one was on just the history of um, blacks in the U.S. with regard to money and business, um, and we talked about how it was that we would become property and all of these different things. We talked about the state of Virginia in particular, and um, just. <laughs> what it meant to be a part of a commonwealth and we talked about we talked about insurance policies and how they were written on the backs of slaves I mean it was just it was yeah <laughs> it was intense and then the second presentation was more about future and what it could look like if we could um, tap into that ginormous spending power that we have not just you know Nationally, I know it's like 1.2 trillion at the national level, but right here in Hampton Roads, it's almost 10 billion. You know, it's like whoa. You know, that, what's the number? 10 billion? What? Uh, the spending pad. The, so, so what African Americans spend on an annual basis in Hampton Roads? It's like I want to say it was like 8.9 billion. And these are some statistics wow. that Bert gave me. I mean, we were looking at the breakdown with regard to food and housing and, you know, and we were just like, wow, you know, that That's is a lot, of money. a lot of money. That's a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then at the end, 
I had conceptualized what Black brand could become. The chamber side, the community development side, what core areas we really needed to develop. And I presented that to the group. And we gained some consensus and people were like, yo, let's move forward with it. Let's figure out what it's gonna take to do it. And so uh, we've been having a ton of meetings ever since then, Zach. I think I've worn my people out with meetings. But it's just like, we gotta get this thing done for Hampton Roads. And then we gotta copy and paste this thing to other urban areas that are having the same conundrum, you know? Yeah, I, I think what's great though is not only are you seeing a problem, but you're willing to try, invest time, money, effort, oh everything into, into fixing it. And I think, yeah. I, I think a lot of people complain doesn't matter what your demographic is, but not a lot of people are willing to go that next step and, and, and try and actually be the solution. And so I, I respect the crap out of that. Created Black Brand about a year ago in 2016, the summer of 2016, after a lot of frustration, you guys decided to be a solution to that problem. What are some of the things that you guys have been producing? Yep. So, so on the chamber side, um, we've wanted to focus on networking. We've certainly wanted to focus on education um, and on just sort of unifying folks to understand that, hey, guess what? I know it's bad. I know it's really, 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 really bad, but we actually are the solution. Like simply by coming together, so much more can happen than by complaining. Uh, and I know Facebook provides a great platform for complaining, but man, if we come together and we start learning some stuff and start like passing our cards around and figuring out who does what, I mean, just what we've been able to see in the last eight months has been remarkable, literally. That, um, that was an amazing quote, by the way. Facebook is a great platform for complaining. Isn't it? I, in the last I mean, month. And now you can love someone's complaint. You know, you can. Mm -hmm. you can I don't follow anyone it. negative. Yeah. It, like, I don't have time to, to like, I'm, I'm, I've unfollowed so many people recently that I'm finding people that I forgot were my friends because I guess their algorithm is bringing them back in. It's like, mm -hmm. if anyone says anything negative, I'm like, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to change the world and I'm not going to do it with negativity. So. Right. You know, and I, and I, I teeter with that. I, I follow, I unfollow people definitely who are crazy. Like, okay, you're posting like, okay. <laughs> but when people are negative, I like to read their posts because I, I, I want to understand the psychosis of negativity. Right. Because I'm a psychology, I still have that psychology thing going on. Like, and, and I want people like you. I respond to it in my posts. I'm like, yeah, you know, I get it. Like, this is this is tough. I, I address people's posts directly in mine, and then I come back and say, but guess what? And that same energy that it took you to do that. <laughs> Imagine if you had just spent that time sharing some great stuff that we have going on here in Hampton Roads. You know. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the, the central piece of our message. Um, and, and again, you know, we, we do these, I was mentioning, I was talking about lunch and learn. So it's, it's more powerful than just, we're going to eat and we're going to get information. It's, we're going to be together and we're going to realize in five minutes, 
that every industry is represented in this room. That is powerful. You know, we're going to meet some new people. We're going to actually pass some referrals in this room. How do you guys? We're going to create a culture that Go ahead. A culture that what? That says that it is it is okay and it is normal and it is right and it is good to do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, how do you, uh, yeah, I mean, how do you attract people to your lunch and lunch? Right? What, like, what's the outreach strategy to get people to show so, up? And that's a good question. Um, can I be honest and say that free food is one heck of a motivator? Like the expense of the lunch and learn is underwritten by our members, right? So what happens is people cannot make it to an event that does not have food involved. They definitely can't come to anything going on during the day. <laughs> they are just too bogged down. But if there is a free lunch involved, every seat is going to be filled. I think that's important, and I'm fine with that. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think you you know I, what you know what uh, will hook someone, right? And so, oftentimes, people are saying, you know, what's that hook? Is it a lead yeah. magnet for something online where you're like, oh, I'll give you this free ebook for you? You know, it's it's saying, hey, we're gonna buy you guys lunch, and then we're gonna tell you guys a story yeah. while in there. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because we always the right people are always there. I mean, these. These are business owners. These are, you know what I mean? These are people that are looking to grow their businesses. These are people that have referrals for other people. And so, so right from now a, we're okay with it. From a, from a business <laughs> perspective, what are some of the challenges that they come to you guys with saying, hey, you know, we really would like to know this problem is, is really starting to become an issue. What are some of those things that they bring up to you? You know, that's a, I think that's an interesting question, right? So I think, because we're a, a black organization, um, it hasn't really yet been the case that people have come with issues pertaining to their business. We kind of feel like we know what they are. People don't know how to market themselves properly. They feel like they can't afford marketing. They feel like they don't have access to capital, right? But when people talk about what they want to see happening, it's more about community stuff. It's that they want to have an impact on, you know, ending teen violence. So they want to, you know, they really want to get at the drug epidemic. That, you know what I mean? It's like they want to deal with what is seemingly acute. Um, whereas the reason why we created Black Brand is because we understood that if we could, if we could get our businesses together, we would impact that instead of passing out book bags and, you know, serving at soup kitchens, let's look at this underlying root cause of poverty and see if we can't fix that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when people come, they want to address community stuff. (laughs) We did it. We did it. We did it. Trust. That's why we're all here. We all want to address community stuff. You know, so I think it's interesting, you know, you have to do that. What's that? Your, your customers are business owners, but they're not coming to you with business challenges. They're trying to change their community to fix it. So that's interesting. Yes, yes. And so, and so, you know, we help them with their business, and we let them know that <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. But here's a here's a 
here's a thing that we're doing to address that. So our theme for our Black Diamond Affair this year, which is our kind of big fundraiser formal thing, is it's our time. And the purpose of the event is to demonstrate that as business owners, we have a much bigger responsibility to the community. And that, like for example, the the individuals that we're gonna have speaking have had tremendous success in business, but at some point they realized that it, it, it had to translate into some community action. So they either got involved in politics, they formed a nonprofit that was separate from their, you know, their primary business structure. Um, and so, so the hope is that people will walk away with that sense of empowerment. Like, yeah, as a business owner, I'm I'm one of the stewards of the black community. So someone I'm like Angela just- Reddix of Artix, I don't know if you know her, um, but she started. Yeah, she was. Okay, so she started. Um, Envision Me Grow. The women's, yeah, Grow. Um, and so that was to help empower um, females to do whatever they want in life. I think maybe even start a business. And so, so someone like Angela yes. has success, has grown her business. And mm-hmm. she then says, you know what? That's great. But actually, I really need to be fixing this other side to make sure that yeah. their future is there as well. And so a story like that is something that you're seeing a lot of with the members of your um, organization, Black Brand. You guys can learn about them at blackbrand.biz. But so it's interesting, though, because what you you're targeting someone who is a business owner. You would think that they were looking for business help, but actually, and and a lot of your programming is towards that, but then actually the opposite side of of that is really, hey, we we do want to change the world. We want to make this a better place. Um, And that's actually been a win for us. Like people going that may not yet have a business, you know, they just want to make a financial contribution because they understand that we are the solution. You know, they want to lock arms with that. You, you you say we are the solution. What is the solution? So, so there's one word that I haven't used yet that means a lot to me, and it's this concept of justice, right? Um, and just from a spiritual standpoint, even a biblical standpoint, one of the imperatives is that we seek justice on a daily basis. And one of the scriptures even goes so far to say that when we don't do that, we offend God and bring about his wrath. So if we're not actively engaged in the pursuit of justice on a daily basis, then we're responsible for injustice, right? That's heavy, right? I, I, yeah, I happened upon that. I was trying to show my mom another passage in scripture. This was also last summer, of course. I was trying to show her something else, and I saw that, and I was like, I never saw that there before. Let me read that again, you know? That's powerful. Um, I forgot the question that you asked, though, Zach. There was a, there was a relationship. What was it? I forgot myself because that was, I mean, that's a powerful seek justice on a daily basis or you have injustice. I mean, that's, that's yeah, powerful yeah. in itself. The yeah. summer of the summer yeah. of 2016 was powerful for you. Yes. I mean, it, it did something in my whole, in my worldview. Okay. We are the solution. We are the solution. Right. And so 
it's difficult from a position of oppression, right? To not expect something else to alleviate it. You know what I mean? Like someone's gotta take their thumb off of me. Someone's gotta change this law. Someone's gotta, you know, impeach this president. Yeah, and and, and on, right? Um, and I agree. Like cross check. Yeah, we gotta end voter suppression. Like I agree to to a, to an extent, but I think that it has um, that mindset enables laziness and complacency at a level that as a result of reading that text I'm no longer comfortable with if we are all out here seeking justice whatever that means whether it's you know putting on a lunch and learn because we know that people are going to come together and empower one another you know sharing a positive event on FB whatever that is going to a school board meeting so that we can say that no we actually attended and participated in that school board meeting we didn't just complain about the outcome of it um then i just feel like we're just going to get there so much faster than we would by just leaving it up to whoever to do it so summer of 2016 i think barack obama said something that was very powerful and i think it's yeah, you know, there's one quote that I'm thinking of, but I think it's very on the same topic of what you're talking about. And the the line, the quote was, "Don't boo, vote." And I think what's powerful about that is, don't bitch, don't complain, don't don't groan about something. You have the ability to go and actually make change. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's something in your business, something in your life, something in a relationship. Like you, you can't just complain about something. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you can, right? And then post about it on Facebook. But if you really want to see something get adopted, to see be done differently, you have to go to bat and not just complain about it, but then try and find that solution. And I think a lot of people don't look for that solution, whether it's they're lazy, they're, they don't believe they have the ability to do it. They, and I think in a lot of cases, they think that what they're supposed to do is just complain and someone else will do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's even a a, a different factor of laziness. Um, Mm -hmm. But to me, like I started Hatch because I saw a hole in the market. Mm -hmm. It became my own pain point. And I said, all right, like, I think I can do this. Let's let's just let's just go. Let's let's see what happens. And so, I think it's very similar to to what you're you're saying. And it's it doesn't to me. It's not about what what race you are, what sex you are, anything like that. Like it's there is a problem, and instead of just complaining about it, you guys are trying to create that solution. And through this solution, which could be a lunch and learn, it could be just bringing people together. It could be saying hey, we have this problem. Like these are the ways that we're trying to um, improve that. You're starting to see improvements on that. How do you track growth, your solution, et cetera, to know that you are moving forward? Because I think you're, you're, you're setting yourself up 
in the world that you're in of a very, very steep mountain. And you could see okay. significant growth, but still be towards the bottom of that mountain. So how do you track it and understand that you actually are seeing significant growth? Yeah, I, I like that question. Cause that's, that's always in the back of my mind. Like, are we doing what we set out to do? Um, and, and because there's, there can be negativity, you know, you look for confirmation from your members. I mean, and so that's one part of it is the member saying, I have been, uh, truly just, you know, this being a part of this has been great for me. It's been great for me personally. It's been great for my business. I mean, you know, I, I've gotten tons of new referrals as a result of being here. Uh, being a part of this, I I tell other people, all of those are indicators for me that, that we're doing something right. Um, and then, like I said, they're the, the, the projects, the huge projects that we're taking on, right? So creating a bank, which will start as a baby loan fund and then grow to a credit union and then become a bank, that is, wow. <laughs> I will know that us having a bank that like supports our members yeah Wait. so so tell me so tell me about this bank so is it is it a black bank i mean what like what what's so, significant about this so i guess what's significant is um the the lending process right so for for tons of reasons institutionalized racism all kinds of other things redlining you name it um the access to capital piece is very, very challenging for black business owners. And yes, there's got to be technical assistance. There's got to be education with regard to finance. And we're putting those mechanisms in place as well. Um, in fact, the community development financial institution has to have that as a component. So you don't just show up to receive money because you're black. No, nope, you've taken these specific courses. We have assessed you throughout that, you know, financially. Um, and the result is you are qualified now to receive the, the funds to be able to either start or maintain your business. Um, the, the, the neat thing about it, though, is there's money allocated at the federal level, at the state level, um, specific to underserved communities. Um, and we've identified you know, this as one of those demographics um, that we want to reach. <clears throat> and so we can actually utilize our chamber membership as the field of membership for the credit union um, and then and then provide access to those, those financial opportunities. And here's something that's really cool. Oh, what you got? Are there other... Me? Like, are there other groups in the country that are doing something like this? Is this very mm -hmm. unique? Like, are there are, are there places where you can look at so you can you can learn mm -hmm. from them and their mistakes? Yep. So there are uh, loan funds. Um, there's Virginia Community Capital, which is right there in our backyard. That is a community development financial institution. Um, they have a different demographic. Um, they have different reach, but they are, they do exist to serve low and moderate income um, business owners. So yeah, so it's not, it's not too, uh, it's not foreign. Um, but what happened was um, the Community Reinvestment Act 
pretty much said that all of these large banks that operate in our communities must return a portion of their profits to the community. So, for example, BB&T has a huge Community Reinvestment Act initiative. Um, and so that's one of our strategic partners. Um, and in order to build our own thing, is you know we've got to lean on on the banks that are set up in our communities. So yeah, so it's a it's a thing. Very interesting. So a bank, a lot of other things are on the horizon for you guys. I appreciate your passion. I appreciate that you see a problem. I've seen that problem for a long time. It's built up from that time at Virginia Tech. You saw some results there and then it continued until you're doing this. And um, uh, I'm excited to see what the future looks like for you. Uh, If you guys are interested, check it out at blackbrand.biz. That's blackbrand.biz. We're talking with Blair Dunham. She's the co-founder and co-president. And you guys have some big plans in the future. And I'm I'm sure that your passion will turn into execution with the team that you guys have on board. And so I appreciate your time today. And Thank um, you so much, Zach. This has been awesome. I love doing this. Absolutely. I appreciate having this platform. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's it's about getting your voice out there and, um, you know, you're doing something and I think the world needs to know about it. So I, I appreciate that and, and thanks for your time today. Thank you. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. Hey, yo, when I say black, you say Wall Street. What? Black Wall Street. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black. Black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black. Black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black. Black. Uh. Black Wall Street. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.